question for you this morning. Are you ready to roll? I remember I was, Maverick loves this story, but I was heading out the door and I hear this little voice, little yet mighty, two-year-old voice. You ready to roll, Daddy? And it got me thinking. Uh, had I made the proper preparations for the trip that I was about to go on? Had I taken what I needed? Was there fuel in the tank? You know, was I ready to go? And then I got to thinking about uh, our eternal trip and have we prepared for the journey that we will someday undergo. Uh, 
And I thought about the journey to heaven. It's heavy on the preparation side and light on the travel, right? So in, in my opinion, and in, in the way I think, the, the trip should be relatively short. And I can't take anything with me. Uh, and so, you know, the preparation comes all beforehand. And then when the Lord calls me home, uh, am I ready to go? Have I, have I taken the steps now to be ready when the Lord calls me home? And so when I was thinking about this and studying it a little more into it, I thought, well, maybe I have some misconceptions. How many of you have heard the term in a blink of an eye? And so what's going to happen in a blink of an eye? Are we going to be caught up to heaven in a blink of an eye? Are we going to be transformed in a blink of an eye? Does the Bible even mention blink of an eye? Uh, it, it mentions twinkling of an eye. Um, so I st and maybe, does it mention blink of an eye? I, I couldn't find it. Um, and I think it mentions in the twinkling of an eye. But in the context that it mentions the twinkling of an eye, it mentions that we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So in the twinkling of our, uh, an eye, our bodies are going to be transformed from an earthly body to a heavenly body. And this is going to happen simultaneous with everyone. Well, not everybody's going to be transformed to a heavenly body, but an immortal body. So from a mortal body, we're going to be transformed into an immortal body. And then we're going to be judged. And then after the judgment, some are going to go to be with Christ in heaven, and others are going to be, go to eternal damnation and hellfire. We sing a song, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Are you ready to roll? Suddenly, all the things of this world that we thought were so important and trying to hang on will seem really small on that day. They'll seem worthless. Like the uh, Song of Solomon, Solomon said, you know, all these things that he had accumulated, all the wealth, all the things he had labored for, and in Ecclesiastes 2.18, yea, I hate all my labor which I have taken under the sun, because I shall leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Anything not done for the Lord is vanity. Anything that we are doing that is not for the greater furtherance of the kingdom of God is vanity. Are we daily in the word of God and fellowshipping with our Savior? Have we confessed our sins in humble repentance, got ready for the call? Can we say that, maybe we'd get up there and say, I was guilty. I was guilty. I had sinned. I, I had done wrong things, but I had repented of my sin. I had had them washed underneath the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and he signed my pardon that I may be free. Can we say that? So this morning, the gist of it is, do you have the assurance of salvation? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that if you died today, that you would go to be with Christ in glory? And some people say, well, it's just pride. If you, know, if, you, if you know that you're saved, that's just you being proud. But it's not at all. I would say that you must know that you're saved. That's the most important thing that you need to know this morning is where you're going to spend eternity when your name is called. Does the scripture say that it's possible that we know that we are saved? 
And Glenn told us that it does, what, last Sunday? John, 1 John 5, let's turn there. First John 5, and let's start at verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So it says here that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now the only way to obtain salvation is believing on the Son of God and confessing him and making him Lord and Savior of your life. Now, there are times when young people make a genuine confession of faith, and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, and Satan comes along and tempts them and says, well, that wasn't real. What you did wasn't real. You're not really saved. And he sows little seeds of doubt. There are times when an individual made a commitment just between them and God, and they made this commitment, they were burdened by their sin, and Maybe they fail to bear witness of the transforming power of Jesus in their life, and then they later on grew to doubt their salvation. Was my experience real? Did I really have a real experience with Christ? If you've recently become a Christian, there's nothing that cements in your mind that experience like proclaiming it to others. When you tell others about the transformed power of Christ in your life, that helps cement that, that um, experience in your mind. If you have any doubts, I will say you must face them. Find out where they're coming from. And I will say also that the majority of time where people doubt their salvation is because they have unconfessed sin in their life. Or possibly they doubt it because they're not sure they've completely taken care of the sin in their life. So they have little seeds of doubt, and they don't know that their sins are truly under the blood. So the first place to start is we need to examine our life and see whether we have known sin. That's where to start. Do you have known sin in your life? Do you know that there's things that you should not be doing, but you have done, and that you have not confessed them? We start there. We, and it... And in order to examine our life properly, we have to have an understanding of the Scripture and what God says is sin. You know, there, there's a time where, thankfully, you know, God doesn't reveal everything to us all at the same, all at once. So there's a growing process that occurs. But when I know to do good and I do it not, it says to him it is sin. To me it is sin. If I know better and I do it anyway, to me it's sin. If you're taking the steps to correct what has been revealed to you as sin, then I believe you can be assured of salvation. So if you're taking the steps to correct what God has revealed in your heart, because there may be more in your heart that hasn't been revealed to you yet, 
and you're still growing, you're still coming to a saving knowledge. And this isn't ignorance is bliss. This is you're studying the Bible, you're, you're in the word, you're praying, you're asking God to search you, and he's revealing little things. And as they're being revealed to you, you're making them right. You're correcting them. You're growing. You're growing closer to the Father. Also, there's different ways people come to Christ. Um, becoming saved in, did you become saved in a proper manner? Well, someone, well, I didn't, I wasn't saved like Bradley was saved, or I wasn't saved, and let me explain this, because there's only one means of salvation, but was it at a revival meetings, and a preacher uh, asked for you to come forward and give your heart to the Lord? Did you pray with one of your parents? Did you confess your sins before God in the woods one day? You know, there's different scenarios that can occur that are legitimate ways of coming to Christ. And some way, well, my experience wasn't just like their experience, so was it real? But there were certain things that needed to be taking place for it to be real. First, did you recognize your need for the save, a Savior? Did you recognize that you're in need of a Savior? Often we refer to that as being called. Well, how were you called? Were you called by, you noticed in Scripture, you're reading Scripture and you became convicted? Did a parent call you and say, you know, you're 14, you know better, you're 15, you know better, and you felt that prompting? Did, did you hear it across the pulpit and you felt convicted? Um, there's different manners of being called, and I've met young people that, that are struggling because they say, well, I haven't been called. And I think they're almost waiting for an audible voice to say, I want you to become a Christian. And I said, do you know you're in need of a Savior? And they said, yes. And I said, do you, do you know that you're a sinner? And they, they said, yes. And I said, well, then you're being called because you, you know these things. And if you haven't been called before, I said, well, I'll call you today. <laughs> You need the Savior. And so the, you're called through different manners. And some people waited so long for the call, they're like, well, I'm hoping it gets written on the wall. Well, it's not going to always just, some people feel it, and, and they're just so burdened by the sin in their past, and they, they feel the call. Some have loved relative, lived relatively good lives. They've, they've been good children. They've been, so they don't feel maybe the oppression of sin that those that have just been in horrible bondage have felt and just the, the desire for something better, the desire for freedom. There is a possibility that you did not sin a lot, but if you grew up in a good Christian home, there are times when not a lot of changes maybe takes place on the outside, but even if you're raised by a bishop or the most pious of men, you are still a sinner. We've all missed the mark, and some willfully, and some because they weren't clearly aware of God's standards. Some of us willfully went against what we knew better, and some grew up on the streets of L.A. and were never taught anything better, and, but they were still, they're still in need of a Savior, and God's still calling that person too, and he's calling you and I. There are times when we subconsciously look down 
on those who we feel were involved in things that we'd have never dreamed of being involved in ourselves. Or, I don't know, where, where that, you know, sometimes we feel like, well, I'm better than that person because I wasn't involved in all those things. That's not the case. Without Christ, we must realize we were all damned for hell, just like everyone else. Then there are those who doubted their uh, salvation, and rightfully so, because they never prayed the prayer of repentance. They never asked God to forgive them for their sins. So they had recognized their need for a Savior, but they hadn't taken it to the next step. If you have not repented or recognized your need of a Savior and that you have sinned, you need to start there. And I, I will say this, too. There's nothing wrong with recommitting your life to God. Some people say, well, that's kind of, you know, I, I think I was saved. Well, why don't you know that you're saved? <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you just think you were saved, then today you could know you were saved. Because if, if, if you put your sins underneath the blood of Christ, you can know you're saved. And you need to know you're saved. So if you have doubts, get rid of those doubts and do it the right way. And then if the devil comes back to you and says, well, you didn't do it the right way. Well, you would have today to say, well, I did it the right way now. And you can't bring that back up to me. That, that's past. You can't bring my past back up anymore because that's underneath the blood. And, and now I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I've made the proper restitution, and I know where my eternal home's going to be. Because the devil loves to sow little seeds of doubts and says, no, something's wrong. Romans 8, starting at verse 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together with him. Does your spirit this morning bear witness with his spirit that you're a child of God? The Bible talks about newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. But as you grow in your knowledge, as you dig into his word, there's all, God has the desire that you go from milk to meat. He didn't intend any of us to stay as babies. We, we were thankful when Jackson put on some more pounds uh, because we didn't want him to stay at six and a half pounds. And it, it's a, a good sign when your baby grows. It's a good sign when a newborn babe in Christ grows into something more than just simply milk. So there's the initial conversion experience. There's the initial coming to Christ. But there's a chance that you had that initial experience and then you quit growing. And that's a problem. Uh, that's a sign of an unhealthy baby. It's a sign of an unhealthy Christian. And maybe not even a Christian. Maybe there's reasons we should doubt our salvation if we've accepted Christ as our Savior and then we just quit growing. Something happened. He wants us to continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ, to dig a little deeper, to have a little more substance. You can lose your salvation. It is possible. 
There will be those that tell you that you can't lose your salvation. And while I don't believe that a saint will be falling in and out of sin, or in and out of grace, because God is merciful, but when we practice sin, after we've become, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we will lose our salvation. You cannot practice sin and be a saint. They don't go together. That's, that's your flesh uh, ruling in your mortal bodies. That's not Christ's spirit. Turn with me to 2 Peter. Let's start at verse 1 and probably read the whole chapter. This is the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostle of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of, of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved under the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of the Lord, when the heavens be on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in peace, without spot and blameless." And account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Also, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of th these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they, are, they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware lest ye also be led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. There's one thing that will not save you, and that's willing, willful ignorance. Um, I've had this with the game warden. It doesn't work. Uh, you, you know, you go out into the woods, and well, I, well, I knew I didn't have a bow tag. Um, I just chose not to get it. It's not going to go over real well with Beth when she catches you. It's the same thing when you come to judgment, and you're willfully ignorant, and you say, well, I knew the scriptures. I knew there was coming a day of judgment, but I decide just not to think about it because it scared me. Well, that's not a good solution. If it scares you, Get to the point where it doesn't scare you anymore, and that's not by searing your conscience. That's by having your sins underneath the blood of Christ. 
I believe if you're here this morning and you desire to know the truth, then you will find the truth within his word. I also believe that you're, you're here this morning because you desire to do what's right and you desire to know God better. We must look into the scriptures and we must continue to grow. There's much evidence all around us of the flood and people are willingly ignorant of this evidence. Uh, they say it's a fairy tale and other things. But there w that day did come and the day of destruction of earth will come. And if you look at Obal Funeral Homes obituaries, a lot of my friends at the store will never come back in the store again. Uh, I've I seen uh, Jeff Grant and Billy Grant's uh, wife, and I've seen Jean Smith. I sold her house last year, and the list could go on and on of people that I've dealt with in the last year that I'll never deal with again because they went to their eternal abode. One day, that will be us. One day, some of us here will be missing, and we will go to our eternal abode, wherever that is. There is coming a day that the world as we know it will be dissolved. Everything in it will be melted away. And it says, knowing these things, what manner of people must we be in all holiness, holy conversation, and godliness? Well, some might say, I'm just sitting here and I'm relying on God's grace. Have you ever heard that? I'm just relying on the grace of God this morning uh, to cover all my unconfessed sins. Is that how it works? No, that's not how it works. And, and the more I studied into God's grace, so what's that acronym of God's grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. And I don't know if people explained it to me fully or I never really understood it, uh, but it's a pretty accurate statement. God's grace to us came in the form of his son Jesus that he bled on the cross and died that we can have salvation. That was his grace. His grace was there for us that we can claim it in faith and obtain salvation. I don't think his grace, so in Romans it says, well, where sin abounded, their grace did much more abound. And so it says, shall we sin that grace may abound? Because where sin was, well, there was more grace. And then he goes on to say, well, God forbid because that is not the purpose of it. The grace abounded more because there was a lot of sin, and grace was there, and it was sufficient to cover sin, but it was never, I don't think grace was because of sin. I think grace was for sin. If, does that make sense? Grace was implemented by God because we sinned, um, and, well, I guess the terminology gets a little tricky there. But grace was not intended to cover sins that we will, willfully do. And, and some people say it is. If we've willfully sinned, then we need to confess it and repent of it. God in his long suffering is still waiting. God in his long suffering is still waiting. Maybe it's one more soul. Maybe it's ten more souls. Maybe it's a thousand more souls. I'm not sure what he's waiting for. And... He's waiting for his perfect timing, his perfect plan to be implemented. And maybe that person is sitting in our midst. Maybe once that person's saved, the trump of God will sound and we'll go to be with him in the air. How long are we going to be with God in the air when that trump sounds? 
I don't know. <laughs> uh, just, just some things. Study the scriptures. Something, sometimes we um, have things in our mind that maybe we learned in a picture book and we, we get these impressions of how things are going to be. Is that what the scripture says? I'm just challenging you to study the scriptures. Peter then went on to say, Since we know all these things, beware lest we be led away by the error of the wicked and fall from our own steadfastness. But grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.1, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for your, yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Is it going to come as a thief in the night to us? Not in the same way. We don't know the hour. We don't know the exact time. But if we're watching, we're not going to be just so surprised. So some people are looking around and they're like, well, do you see the writing on the wall today? Is, it, is the day getting closer? I think it is. I, I see some writing on the wall. And so I'm hoping that if I continue to be in the scriptures, that it's not going to catch me off guard. It's, I think it'll be sudden. I think I'll be surprised. But not in the same way of I'm going to be ignorant that it was about to happen. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us do mission work on Saturday. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to upset but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So he made us a way. He provided salvation for us. And what is that verse? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The answer is we're not going to. We can't neglect what God has given us. We are the children of the light. Are we spreading that light to others? Are we passionate about what we believe? Are we passionate about the grace that has been extended to us through Jesus and is extended to our neighbors and to those lost in sin? There's also this thing of oversensitivity. So some people, they're not quite sure if they're saved, and there's some oversensitivity involved. And I don't think it's oversensitivity to the Spirit. I think it's just oversensitivity in general. Um, they made a wrong right. They, they, they did something wrong. They made it right. But the devil keeps coming back to him and said, well, maybe you didn't do it in the right manner. And it's, they're really sensitive. Um, this can be the devil just sowing doubts in your mind. That you've made something right. You've done it the right way. Then claim it. Don't let the devil sow doubts in your mind when you've, when you've put things underneath the blood. Confessing sin and not forsaking sin will lead one to doubt their salvation. So confess your sins and then forsake your sins. Don't continue in sin. Confess them and forsake them. Isaiah 55, 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. What a blessing because we've all been there. 
We've all sinned, and then we've confessed our sins, we've forsaken our sins, and God has abundantly pardoned our sins. What a blessing. But the more the Spirit is ignored, the more he's not listened to, the more we're unable to hear him. And so then we are able to do wrong, and we're not prompted by his Spirit. We're able to do sin, and the voice isn't very loud. A deceived person, a deceived person no longer sees his or her need for repentance, and therefore it is nearly impossible for that person to come back to the knowledge of God without intercessory prayer. Have you ever seen a person that believes they're doing what's right, but they're not doing what's right? I think we've all seen it before, and that's a scary place to be. Hell is a real place. Unimaginable, yes, but a real place nonetheless. All the wrongs that should have been made right will play over and over again. The choices to serve self and to live for pleasure will haunt the minds of the suffering sinner. Being alone, I don't know how it's all going to be, but in a place like hell, I think it would almost be better to be alone because who's your company? Murderers, <laughs> the devil, demons, the works of darkness. <laughs> you know, I, there's no good option in hell. It's a horrible place, a place of outer darkness. Is that physical? Is that spiritual? We know it's spiritual. There's no light there. Um, suffocating heat, a fire that never goes out. And that is why I think the devil has to trick us. Because no person in their right mind would go to hell on purpose. There's, there's, no, <laughs> there's no justification of choosing hell over heaven. So the devil tricks you into thinking, well, that sin is not going to take you to hell. Or there's sins of omission. So simply not doing something is not going to end you up in hell. But it says, to him that knoweth, knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. And I think I've shared this before, but my grandpa had a small taste of hell. And, you know, he was in the hospital with tremendous chest pains, and he didn't know what was going on, but he was pretty sure he was heart, having a heart attack. And his sister Rachel and my Aunt June were by his side. And he, he told his sister Rachel, he said, go call a nurse. He said, this pain is suffocating me. And so she went out to call a nurse, and Aunt June was still in there. And the nurses quickly came into the room, and then he said, he went up above the room. He had like an out-of-body experience, and he went up above the room, and he said he could see my Aunt June by his side, by, beside his body, and the nurses ushered her out of the room real quickly. And then he said he was traveling at a tremendous speed, and he said it was like flying down a tunnel. So I don't, I haven't, um, this is just what he felt. He's, he, he was flying down a tunnel, and he came to what felt like a big door or a big gate. And he said behind that gate, he said he could see this beautiful light. He said it was totally undescribable. He, he, he come to this light, and he could feel a beautiful presence. And he said the worst thing happened then. He said he started slowly, well, pretty quickly, falling away from the presence. And then he heard a really kind voice, and it said, uh, no ill will or malice or hate can enter here. And my grandpa wasn't treated real nice where he was, and he was taken advantage of because his family didn't have the right last name. or so. I'm not sure what it was, 
but he wasn't treated real good, and so he had a lot of bitterness in his heart. And he said he went, he kept falling and falling, and I'll just read what he said. He said, the terror that gripped his heart was unimaginable. He screamed for mercy, please God, one more chance, just one more chance. And I, I, I feel like he maybe felt the heat or something, and they shocked his body and they brought him back. And he was laying on his hospital bed and the doctors were leaning him over, leaning over him. And they said, well, Sam, uh, you feel better now. And he felt much better than what he was just experiencing. And so he went around for the next couple weeks and all the people that he was bitter against and all that hate in his heart, he got rid of. He, he went and he made wrongs right. And I think about, might've been a month or Three weeks later, he passed away of a massive heart attack. Uh, but he, God, for some reason, gave him a second chance. And how many second chances have we got? You know, I've got a lot of second chances in my life. And God may have been given you a second chance if you're not right before him this morning. I might read this story. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man, so I believe this is a true story, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which lay at his gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus his evil things. But now is he comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went up from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So even though Grandpa went around and shared his experience, I think there was many that didn't make any changes in their life, whether they didn't believe him, what do they believed if they sent Lazarus back and he told them what he had experienced? No. We have the prophets. We have the scripture. We have the word of God. And it clearly tells us what we need to know. If that's not enough, one coming back from the dead won't change us either. In mainstream Christianity, going to hell is harder than it's ever been. Did you know that many churches teach that you can lie, steal, cheat, hate your brother, sow discord, men can marry men, and none of these sins will put you in hell? That's being preached at many churches. And loving God, a loving God would never send a person to hell. And I believe that's true. 
God designed hell for the devil and his angels, and that's why he's made a provision for us that we don't have to go there. But we can choose to go there if we choose to do, go apart from God. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you're saved, it's time to know. It may be that the devil is just tempting you to think that you're not good enough. And the fact of the matter is you're not good enough. <laughs> None of us are good enough to be saved. Uh, but we can obtain salvation through Jesus' blood. It's not of works of righteousness that we have done, but by the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about being good enough. It's about having our sins beneath the blood of God. Christ. John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And then skipping down to verse 21, He that hath my commandments keepeth them, and he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. I'm going to read a story in closing. Not long ago, a preacher had closed out a revival and boarded a train to start a start on his journey home. He sat down beside a young man and tried to start a conversation with him while making some comment about the weather. The young man didn't answer him, so they rode on in silence. In a little while, the preacher heard the young man break out in sobs as he leaned over and put his arms around his shoulder and said, son, I'm a minister and I'd like to help you in some way if I can. The young man said, yes, preacher, I've, I've got to talk to someone. You see, about two years ago, I'd grown so wicked and went so far as to strike my dad with my fist. My dad told me, son, you've grown so wicked that you're worrying your mother to death and you're going to have to leave home. So you see, preacher, for the past two years, I guess I've done just a little bit about everything that could be thought of that was wrong. But about two weeks ago, I knelt down at an old-fashioned altar and the Lord graciously saved my soul. The first thing I thought of was my dear old mother and dad and how I'd love to go back home. I sat down and wrote my dad a letter and said, Dad, if you can find in your heart to forgive me, please let me come home. I told him that I'd be on this train, and if he wanted, to, he, if he wanted me to get off, I would. Well, this kind of confused the preacher a little bit. and He said, Son, just how are you going to know what that your dad has forgiven you? The young man replied, Preacher, for just about all my life, we lived by this old, train, old railroad tracks and little broken-down house, out in the backyard stands an old apple tree, and I told my dad if, I could, if he could find in his heart to forgive me just to have a white flag in the old apple tree, and I'll get off. In a little while, the preacher heard the young man break out in sobs again. The young man said, Preacher, I'm almost home, but I can't bear to look. Almost home, preacher, but I can't bear to look. Preacher said, Son, that'll be all right. I'll look for you. I'll be your eyes. So the preacher leaned over and wiped away the frost from the window so he could see. As he looked out, a great big smile came over his face, and he looked back at the young man and said, Son, you don't have a thing in this world to worry about. Why, it looks like the old apple tree is full bloom. Why, son, there's white flags hanging all over it, and that's not all. Down under it stands a dear old mother and dad, and they're not only waving white flags, they've got a big old white sheet waving. Come on home, son. We still love you. Come on home. And you know, I'm glad to know that we have a Father in Heaven that no matter how wicked we've been, no matter how much wrong we've done, He still loves you 
And he's saying, come on home, child. Come on home. What a blessing.